All right. Well, good morning. I'm Kotz. Uh, we're in the middle of a series. We're going through Luke chapter 9 and chapter 10. And right now we're getting towards the end of chapter 9. So we're halfway through this series. And uh, we're in a series called For the World. And we're following the story of Jesus, the bi- biography of Jesus, as told from the perspective of Mr. Luke. And so uh, today I want to start off by talking about this one simple understanding of how has God blessed you? So the question I want to start with is, is has God blessed you? And for a lot of you, you'd say, yeah, you know, and depending on how you define blessings, you know, you might have a different way of answering it. But in general, you're like, well, the Lord gave me life. That's a blessing. You know, every breath that I take is, is a blessing from God. Or some of you are like, yes, I've experienced salvation. That's blessing. Or I have a gift. I'm really good at doing this one thing. And this is this one talent that I have is helping me feed my family. Like that's, that's a blessing. There's a lot of blessings, right? Uh, maybe some of you, you were praying and you s- received inspiration from God. You're like, yes, God loves me because he's, you know, he's blessed me so much. So from the first question that has God blessed you usually leads to the next question, which is this. Well, does that make you feel important? Oh, yeah, God, you know, God, he heard my prayer. Or God loves me enough to do this for me. Or God thought about me when he hung on the cross. Or, you know, and so you start from has God blessed me to, well, that makes me feel really good about me. I feel important that I'm not some accident that I'm actually planned by God. Like, I'm part of the plan of God. This makes me really feel really good, okay? But this leads to a third question that's a little dangerous to ask, okay? Because maybe we don't admit it, but in some ways we might think this, which is this. Are you more important than others? Are you more important than others? Um, I'll give you an example of this. So when I was, uh, let's just say, uh, I think it was maybe 10 years ago, my gosh, I, ten, yeah, maybe 10 years ago, um, I was recruited to go on this mission trip uh, to Japan. There was a college group of people who wanted to do a mission trip in Japan uh, with this one organization and said, hey, you know, pastor, you, you speak Japanese, you have experience in Japan, so would you like to lead a group of college students to Japan? So me and 20 other students, we went to Kyoto, which is one of the oldest major cities in Japan. And so we went there, and from the moment we got off the plane, just listening to the conversations that the college students are having, it, 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 was, ex- it was exciting to hear what they had to say, like, oh yeah, we're just going to go to Japan, we're going to talk about Jesus to these people, we're so excited. But at the same time, I was also hearing some things that was c- disturbing me, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. Why was it disturbing me? And, and one of the students who kind of picked up on this disturbing do- conversation he kind of pointed out to me, he said, Kotz, do you feel like since the moment we got off the plane to now, and by now we're like two weeks into this, he's like, do you feel like we're kind of arrogant? Like, w- what do you mean? He's like, well, I've been listening to these people talk about Jesus to these students who've never heard about Jesus, and it's kind of condescending the way they were doing it. And I thought, that's what it is. Uh, I, that's, that's what it is. Like these people, like we, we come to this foreign country and we're in there and we're talking to people like, yeah, I know Jesus, you don't, right? And so uh, I'm, gonna, I'm here to fix your life for you, <laughs> right? Or I know where I'm going when I die. What about you? No, well, guess what? I have the answer. So uh, if you want to, you could listen to me. You know, like it was really condescending. And as I was listening to this, it became more and more apparent. I needed to kind of address it. So one day I took all the students and I took them to this temple that was nearby called the Kiyomizu Temple, Kiyomizu And it's like a temple you might see in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like there's this waterfall and it's made out of wood. And, and you're standing there. And I looked at the students and I said, you know, this, this wooden building has been around 
for longer than the United States has been a country. I'm trying to set this perspective for them. Like, we have to respect them. We can't come in here thinking like we have all the answers. And as a matter of fact, if you ever go on some Christian forum or if you go to some article that talks about Christianity and you read through the discussion forums, you'll find out that one of the things that irks non-Christians about Christianity, about Christians, is how arrogant we are. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, we come into the scene acting like we have everything figured out. (laughs) And so, and, 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 you know, that makes me feel kind of, it makes me, it makes me kind of disgusted. You know, and, and the reason is because I've been on the outside before. You see, I wasn't raised in the church. I was raised outside the church, and it was at the end of high school that I decided to join the church. But until then, I remember thinking like, yeah, I, sure, you know, Christianity sounds great, but it just sounds so arrogant. Like, I don't want to be part of that holier-than-thou club. And, and, but when I read through the Bible, it's really interesting because it turns out this is not a new problem. <laughs> you see, there's, in the Old Testament, there's a group of people called the Israelites. These people were slaves in Egypt. Moses came in and pulled them out. And they're like, God says, I know you've been treated less than human for hundreds of years. Well, guess what? I'm choosing you to be my people. And at first, it was this gratefulness. Like, oh, we, we are not worthy of being called your people. Thank you so much for, for seeing us. And, you know, while we're not worth anything to anybody, you found worth in us, God. Thank you so much. But over time, they started saying, we're chosen and everybody else isn't. <laughs> well, I guess we should mingle with those people. And they started getting full of themselves to a point where their arrogance started pushing people out. And now we have people who are called outsiders because these people started feeling like it was, you know, it's all about me. It's all about God loving me. And so their blessings somehow translated into arrogance. And so you think when Jesus shows up, he's going to be like, okay, none of, the, none of that anymore. And that's what you think, right? And it's true, yes. Jesus shows up and says, no more arrogance, guys, no more of that. But his disciples, the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, they, Jesus is like, you guys are going to go and start this new thing, you know, this new world order, this whole new way of looking at the world. You're going to start this new thing, right? But what I'm starting to sense in you 12 is that you are doing the exact same things that the Israelites did in the past. And so in today's passage we're looking at, Jesus tries to address the arrogant issue, the arrogance issue. So let's start that. We're looking at chapter 9. We're starting from verse 46. There you go. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Great way to start a story. Okay, notice here that he doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say who is the greatest. It says which one would be the greatest. You see, so in the current world, these disciples, like if you look at the list of people who are part of the team, they're people who are outcasts of society. We're talking about a tax collector where nobody wanted to associate with them. We're talking about a fisherman who kind of failed at his own job, right? And so he's looking at all these people saying like, yes, you guys are nobodies right now. And the disciples are like, yeah, but Jesus is going to start this new thing called Christianity and the world's going to change because of that. And when that starts, when that day comes, I wonder who's going to be the greatest. And the word greatest there is the, is the Greek word mazon. That's where we get the word mega you know, like mega bite, you know, mega, you know, huge, right? So it's like, who is going to be the greatest in status? Who is going to be the one that people are going to be talking about hundreds of years from now? They're thinking about, now finally, it's my turn to be great. It's my turn to feel important. And Jesus looks at this and is like, oh, goodness. I've seen this before. I've seen this in the Old Testament. This is, this is, this is dangerous. So Jesus addresses the disciples as they're talking about who is the greatest. Now, before we move on, I want to address the idea of greatness here. Greatness is not the same as excellence. It's good to be excellent at stuff that you do. I hope you're good at what you do, okay? 
Greatness that they're talking about here in this passage is this idea of reputation, meaning because I was so useful to society, because I'm good at certain things, people look at me and say, look at that guy, he's so good at this. He's the guy that's good at drawing. Oh, he's the good that's won many wars. He's the one that has, you know, won the Nobel Prize. He's the guy that's done this and done, you know. So it's based off of how much you've accomplished in life, how good you are, how reliable you are. That's what makes you great. So these disciples are talking about, Peter was like, you know, I was the first to say yes to Jesus. I'm the greatest disciple because I was the first one there. He was like, I'm, you know, I'm that great. Everybody else, you kind of came later, so you're down here. You're like, this is what they're talking about. In the world's eyes, what you've contributed to the movement is how, you're, how they measure how great you are. So Peter's like, I've been here the longest. And then maybe Judas would say, well, I'm the one that's in charge of the finances of this team, so maybe I'm the greatest. You know? And so everyone starts talking. So Jesus responds to this. This is what he says. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Now, little child. It's not just child, it's a little child. So there's a contrast. Jesus is standing here, little child stands next, there's a big contrast. And immediately the disciples look at the kid and says, you know what? In this culture, uh, children have not contributed to society yet. They're not important. They would not be considered the greatest in this society. Okay, so Jesus brings this little kid who's considered to have not accomplished anything. In terms of what you've contributed to society, they have not done that yet. So at this point in the story, people are looking at him saying like, Jesus, why are you bringing this kid up here? He, he hasn't really done anything. And Jesus is like, that's right, because I have a great lesson for you. Next verse. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. The word welcome is the word in the Greek. It implies, it, it impl- uh, the, the word is dikomai. It, it implies you're treating somebody like a VIP. When somebody comes over to your house, right, you do everything you can to make sure that that person feels welcome. So you clean up the house. You know, you, that's the word welcome here in the Greek. It's the word that means no matter who this person is, we want to treat them you know, as a VIP because we want to make sure that this person has the best experience of their person's life. So, so Jesus says, whoever treats this kid here who hasn't contributed to society yet as a VIP in my name, Okay, and by the way, when he says, in my name, uh, and I could go into this really deep, so I'm going to try to keep it simple. What he's saying here is, I, from where I come from, Jesus came from, you know, from, you know, he came from heaven. He's like, from where I'm from, there's a certain way that we look at people. In this world, there's a certain way that you look at people, okay? He's saying, from where I'm from, that's what he means by in my name, from where I'm from, people, kids like this, they have a lot of value. They're important to me. And because I'm here, we're going to live according to the way that I, how we treat kids like this. So he's like, from my perspective, this kid has a lot of value. If you welcome this kid in the way that I would, if, you know, if this world was the way that I wanted to run, if this kid is invited and welcomed into our society in the same way that I would invite this kid into society, then you are also welcoming me. Next part. It says, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And so the way I understand this world is that this child has value even though he hasn't done anything yet. And if you are agreeing with me that that's, that's how the world ought to be, then you're also in sync with God the Father. So he's saying, the way you treat this kid is directly correlated to the way of how you connect with God. Okay. And then he says this. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Okay, so he's using some interesting word plays here. He's saying this. If the kid here 
is at this level in society, and if you're listening to this online, you're not gonna know what I'm doing, but okay, if you're at this level in society, and you are at this level in society, he's saying, you have to treat this kid at the same level as you, as a VIP, okay? But if you can't do that, okay, if you can't somehow raise the, the status of this kid, then you need to bring yourself lower to that kid's status so that you are at the same level. Or maybe in some cases, lower so you could bring the person back up. He's saying, if you wanna be the greatest, then what you have to do is you have to lower yourself. Now, the disciples are listening to this, and they're like, oh, interesting. So what you're telling me is, okay, he's saying, there's the, tw- there's the 12 disciples here. Now, if you were here with us the last few weeks, you know that three of the 12 disciples went up the hill and saw Jesus go through this transfiguration thing. So these three are like coming back down the hill thinking, you know what, we're pretty important. Out of the 12, we're the inner three. We're like the core. Like, we're the most important. Peter, John, and James, we're like the we're awesome. Like the other nine, I don't know about you guys, but we're like, uh, right? So these guys are saying, you know, I think we're the greatest of the 12. I think we should be recognized as the, 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 mo- the greatest in the next, the world to come. That's who we should be, right? And so these people are listening to this, and Jesus is saying, stop talking about which of you are the greatest. Yeah, yeah, you three, yeah, you came up the hill with me, that's great, but you fell asleep, you know, I could talk about all the embarrassing stories that you, you know. So he's, so he's saying, of the 12, you think the three of you guys are special? It's like, no, 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 no. And the disciples are hearing this. And like, okay, I think I know your lesson, Jesus. So this is the lesson that they think that Jesus is teaching. Regardless of how, uh, how greatness is measured in society, so how much you contribute to society is how greatness is measured, be humble enough to love those beneath you. This is what the disciples think the lesson is. They're thinking, okay, Jesus, I think I get what you're trying to t- tell us. You're telling us, okay, that out of the 12, we thought the three of us were the most important, but what you're telling us is that all 12 of us are equally important. Is that right, Jesus? So here's a diagram of that, okay? So here's the 12, right? These three, right? We're the most important. And, and he's like, no, the lesson that Jesus is teaching us is this. Next slide. He's like, no, no, no. All of us should be yellow. Like, all of us are important. We're all equal. We're, we're even, right? So that's, that's what you're telling us. And Jesus is like, yeah, kind of. That, that's, that's ex- yeah, that's kind of what I'm telling you. And as they're thinking through this, another conversation starts. Next verse. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Okay, so here's the 12, right? And remember, Jesus had 12, he picked out 12, but there were hundreds of others who followed. Okay, so Jesus didn't pick them, they just started following him, right? So, so the 12 are like, okay, we're important. All of us, all 12 of us, we're equally important because Jesus chose us to be here. Everybody else, they just kind of, you know, heard the rumors about Jesus. They just followed, you know. And outside of this 12, although they're following Jesus, there's 12 over there. We're on the outside now. They're following Jesus, but they're not the inner 12. And there's somebody out here who started casting out demons. Now, if you were here with us last week, you'll remember that the, the disciples were trying to cast out demons. They, they totally epic failed, right? And so now they're hearing that there's somebody outside the 12, 12 that are doing what they couldn't do. And John comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I know we're important to you because we're one of the 12. And I know you told us to cast out demons, you know, us, not them. So I just found out that there's a guy right there who's been trying to cast out demons, and he's actually successful at it. So don't, don't worry, Jesus, I know. We're important. Yeah, I told him to stop, you know. In the name of Jesus, stop doing that. You know, I, I, I totally did that. I'm, I'm good, you know. And then Jesus' response is this. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. So are you seeing a pattern here? Originally, right, it was the three of the 12 that thought they were more important. Jesus scolds them, and he, they're like, okay, wait, 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 okay. It's not just three, it's the 12. We're all important. 
But the next lesson that Jesus teaches is this. Next slide. Out of these 12, right, and there's all the other followers, what Jesus is saying is, and the disciples are like, okay, I think I know what the lesson is that you're teaching us, Jesus. This is the lesson. The lesson is this. In the midst of your spiritual journey, be humble enough to love those beneath you. Proximity-wise, these 12 are like, we're the closest to Jesus. Like, in times of time, we've been following Jesus longer than anybody in this crowd. We're further along in our spiritual journey than everybody else in this, in, in, everybody else in, in this world. Like, we're the first disciples of Jesus, right? This is so cool. Like, of course the 12 of us were the most important ones. And there's a guy who's, who hasn't been following you as long as us and who hasn't been spending as much time as, with you as much, you know, and they're ca- trying to cast out demons, so I told him to stop. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Why? You think you're more special because you've been with me longer? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. So the, 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 the lesson that these disciples thought Jesus was teaching at this point is, okay, okay, so at first it's like, it's, you know, regardless of how society measures greatness, we're all equal in the eyes of God. Okay, good. Next lesson. We think what he's saying is it's not just the 12 of us. Whoa. It's okay. You're great in the eyes of God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's go next slide. <laughs> And so what he's saying is, no, 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 it's not just the immediate 12. Everybody is important in the eyes of God. All the followers are important. And the disciples are like, okay, so we thought we were special. The inner three is like, we thought we were really special, but now, you know, we'll spread the, the, the fame with everybody else. And now they're like, okay, well, maybe it's not just the 12 of us. Maybe it's everybody. Everybody's equal in the eyes of God. Okay, got it. Okay, all the, all the followers of Jesus. And as that was happening, the next verse happens. At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus is about to start heading south from where he is right now. He's going to Jerusalem. Now, before we move on, geographically, up until now in the book of Luke, everybody's been hanging out in this place called Galilee. It's like this big sea. They call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's actually a lake. And they're hanging out there, and Jerusalem is on the, in the south, and there's a river that goes down. So they're going to follow the river, by the river, all the way down to Jerusalem. That's, that's their plan. But the problem is between Jerusalem, uh, b- between uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem, there's a big chunk of land there called Samaria. Now, Samaria is filled with really interesting people. So uh, we're going to talk about that in a second right here. Here we go. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samar- the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. So the practice back then was before Jesus walked into town, he would send some of his followers out there to find a place to stay so that Jesus could be out there helping people, healing people, loving on people to the late hours. Because, you know, until, if he does that until 6 o'clock and all of a sudden he's like, oh, it's time to find a place to stay, it'll be too late. So he's sending people ahead to help him find a place. Now, here's a little history about Samaria. Samaria in the Old Testament was known as, as a location where people were exiled into who were compromising. In other words, they believed that God loved Jewish people right? And so not being Jewish is one of those big bad things. But what's worse than that is if you're a half-breed. That means that you're Jewish, but you actually ended up mating with somebody who's not Jewish, and therefore you have these half-breed Jewish people. Well, history tells us that these barbarians called Assyrians moved into Israel, and they raped the women there. And as they did that, they had these half-breeds. So it wasn't really their fault, but that's how it ended up being. So they were pushed out of society, and so when these people wanted to come and worship God in the temple— which is in Jerusalem, the people who lived in Jerusalem would say, uh-uh, you're not allowed here. You're not a full-breed Jew. You, you have to be full-breed to be in here, so sorry you're not allowed in here. 
And so these people, called the Samaritans, are like, well, we want to worship God too. What are we going to do? And so what they did was in a place called Mount Gerizim, they decided to build their own temple. So to worship God, you usually go to Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is going right now, okay? But if you're not welcome there, you usually go to a place called Mount Gerizim where they would have a pseudo-temple. Okay, so Jesus is going through that town right now, okay? And as he's going to go there, he sends out his, his, his messengers to see if there's a place to stay. And they're like, ah, oh, yeah, we need a place to stay. Um, our, our Lord Jesus is sending us out here to find a place to stay. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're welcome here. What, what, what do you guys need? This, uh, who, who is this Jesus guy? It's like, oh, Jesus, oh, he's our rabbi. And we're on our way to Jerusalem. It's like, wait a minute. You're on your way to Jerusalem? Mm, I don't think you can stay here. It's like, well, why not? It's like, well, well, we have a jealousy issue here, you see, because we want to be worshiping in Jerusalem, and, but we're not allowed there. And so anybody who passes by who wants to go to Jerusalem, we're kind of like, no, we don't want to talk to you. So that's what happens. Next verse. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, at this point, this, this is what the disciples are thinking. They're thinking this. They're like, wait a minute. Jesus right now is on his way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. That includes you, Samaritans. Who do you think he's doing this for? Come on, Samaritans. Like, how could you not welcome Jesus into your town? He's about to do something for you. He's about to suffer for you. He's about to do all these crazy things for you, and you're not letting him stay in your town? So you can imagine, the, 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 in the minds of these disciples, they're just angry. They're like, how dare you? You are so ungrateful. Come on, Jesus is about to do something amazing for you, and you're not willing to let him stay for one night? Come on. So when the disciples heard this, next verse, James and John specifically saw this. They asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> okay, you think this is really bad, and it is, okay? But I also want to give you the silver lining in all this, okay? James and John at this point are kind of bragging to Jesus, saying, I did my Bible study homework. What, what, what do you mean by this? Okay, if you read through 2 Kings chapter 1, there's a guy named Elijah who is a prophet of God, okay? He shows up on the scene, and the king of Samaria disrespects him, and so, so God brings fire from the sky and consumes and destroys the king of, of, of Samaria. So James and John are like, I did my homework, Jesus. I know in the Old Testament, you know, a long time ago, well, back then it was just the Testament because they didn't have the Old or New, but, you know, it's like, I did my research. I read Second Kings. I know that when somebody disrespects a man of God, he's going to bring fire from the sky. Do you want us to pray to, to your father to bring fire from the sky? And Jesus is like, really? Uh, really? Okay, well, this is their, his response. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Now, if you're wondering why that's italicized right there, and you're like comparing with your Bible, it, and for some of you, that italicized section is not in your Bible. It's because in some translations, like the New King James and the New American Standard, that's actually there. In the NIV that most of you guys use, it's not there. It's because that part of the, the text was added on later. Um, but the person who added that text in there, he, he or she or whoever it was, was looking at the story and said, this will help clarify what Jesus is trying to do. So even though it's not inspired scripture, it's there just so that you understand more of what's, what's going on here. What he's really trying to say here is this. He's saying, do you think I came here so that I can make more people suffer? Jesus would say. It's like, no, I came here to help people, to love on people, to save people. Disciples, you're missing the point here. Yes, I know your Old Testament hero, Elijah, that you have a poster of in your bedroom. You're like, I know he was a big deal to you and everything, but I am not that guy. 
This is a new world. So at this point, the disciples are like, you mean, Jesus, you love these people who just pushed you out? They have nothing in common with you? They disagree on everything? That when you talk about how you want to worship in Jerusalem, they'll say, no, 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 our temple is a real temple. Like, you disagree on almost everything, and you still think that they're important? Jesus is like, mm-hmm. So, again, the disciples are like, they're huddling. Like, okay, the first lesson was that out of, out of the 12, we thought only a few of us were the greatest, but it turns out everybody is great. Okay. The, then the second lesson was it's not just the 12, but all his followers are important. Okay, that they're all equal. Okay, and now we're going to the area of people who don't believe in you, and you're telling us that they ought to be loved by us too? Yeah, so the lesson that they think they're learning now is this. Amongst those who disagree, that you disagree with, be humble enough to, to love those beneath you. Be humble enough to love those, those people. So remember that diagram I, got, I made you guys? Like, it, it started with the circles, and it kind of, everybody's yellow, and everybody's like a yellow circle, Right? Well, look at the next screen. That's a yellow screen. If I were to put a bunch of yellow circles, I, I got sick and tired of drawing circles. That's why the whole screen is yellow. The whole world is important in the eyes of God. There's no greater or lesser. Everybody is important. So as the disciples were learning, little by little by little, of like, oh, the circle that God thinks is important is bigger than this, bigger than this, bigger than this, and eventually gets to the whole world, the disciples took all those lessons together, and they came up with this one simple lesson, which is this. The real lesson that Jesus is trying to teach is that if you are loving others correctly, there should be no one beneath you. There's no greater or lesser. Everybody is important in the eyes of God, regardless of if they are followers of Jesus or not. Oh, that, but, you know, that person over there, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't follow Jesus. And we do, so we're better. Jesus say no. They are equal to you. Yes, but God has blessed me. He's given me so much stuff. Like, I pray and he hears my prayers. Yes, I understand that. But he loves them just as equally as you. If they lifted up a prayer, don't be surprised if God answers their prayers before he answers your prayers. Because that person, you think you have, like, an inside track because you're a Christian? It's like, no. God loves everybody equally. He sees everybody important. And the disciples originally who were like in the middle three are like, but we thought we were important. I thought we were the, the special chosen ones. And then the 12 like, we thought we were the chosen ones. And now everyone's like, well, we're the followers of Jesus. We think we're the greatest. And then eventually Jesus is like, no. If you do that, you're going to end up in the same pattern as the people of the Old Testament who thought we're chosen by God, therefore we're greater than everybody else. And he says, no. Regardless of where you stand with Jesus, God sees everybody equally important. So recap. So God values people who are less used in society than you. God values people who are not as close to God as you. And God values people who uh, do not believe in God like you. I know, sorry to break it to some of you because you thought, oh yeah, I know, I have this special thing with Jesus. <laughs> um, you probably do have that special thing with Jesus, but so does the guy next to you. And I think that's a very important lesson to learn because ultimately, what Jesus is trying to pound into the heads of these disciples is this, that there is no room for arrogance in the kingdom of God. There is no room for arrogance. And this is what really irks me sometimes that there's Christians who show up on the scene and says, well, we have the truth. We have the Bible. We have everything that we need to know in this little book right here, right? And uh, you don't. 
what do you have, science? <laughs> you know, I have the Bible, right? And then they get this arrogance, like, I have the truth, I have the truth, and therefore I have every right to feel like I'm superior to you. You know, one of my favorite, he- my, one of my heroes, um, he passed away a few years ago. I don't know why my heroes keeps dying. But, <laughs> but uh, he wrote a book. His name is Edward Dobson. He's a, he's a, he used to teach at a university, a Christian university. He's also a pastor. And um, he wrote a book called The Year of Living Like Jesus. And his, the book is broken into chapters where, like, it's January, February. So he did a whole year doing his best to do exactly what Jesus did. And at the end of his book, he has a concluding, par- uh, concluding chapter. This is what he said at the very end. He said this, I realize that no church, no denomination, no theological system has the inside track on truth. I grew up in a fundamental environment where we believed we were right and everyone else was wrong. Nothing could be further than the truth. He's like, I have lived the life that Jesus would want everybody to live, and this is what I came to understand. We think we're better for having this thing called the Bible because we have the truth, or we think our denomination is the best because we, ha- we have the best understanding of the scripture, or you think we're, you know, he's like, if you think you're better than everybody else because you have this thing called truth, it's like, you know what I learned after doing this, one, this experiment, this one year living as, a, as, as Jesus would? I found out that nobody has, really has the inside track. Everybody has bits and pieces of it. Continuing this quote, he says, Last year, I grew in my appreciation for the Roman Catholic faith. And he's Protestant, so he's like, I try the Catholic faith. And I was moved by praying the rosary and praying through the stations of the cross. The emphasis on the suffering Christ has helped me. He said, oh, by the way, he had Parkinson's at this time. And what he discovered is when it comes to the Roman Catholic faith, they put a lot of emphasis on the suffering Jesus. And, you know, I found healing in that. I was able to connect with Jesus in a deeper way than it did before. You know, I used to knock like, like oh, Catholic faith, they're not, you know, they're not real Christians, they're, you know, right? It's like, it turns out there's a lot of truth in what they're teaching. And then he goes on. Then, I also grew in my appreciation for the Orthodox Church. I was deeply moved every time I prayed the Orthodox prayer rope. The emphasis on the incarnation and its implications encouraged me. It's like, I also tried this thing called the Orthodox Church. And you know what their emphasis is? Their emphasis is on the fact that Jesus became a human being and lived the life that we, be, we should be living too. I found healing in that. Like, yeah, the Catholic Church focused on suffering. The Orthodox Church focuses on incarnation, becoming one of the people who are suffering. And I found something amazing in that. And next, next part, he says, I grew my appreciation for Cornerstone University. That's the, the university he taught at. That institution too is on the journey of becoming more like Jesus. But none of these groups, including the church I served for 18 and a half years, has the inside track on truth. He says, if you are arrogant enough to say the Christianity that I believe in is the only true version of Christianity, he's like, let me tell you, I'm going to break it to you right now, that, that all these different denominations, all these uh, different understandings of Jesus, there's truth in every single one of them. Nobody here has the absolute monopoly on what truth is. And then he says this, and we can all learn from each other. There's the heart of humility right there. I learned that anybody who is for Jesus is a friend of mine. See, arrogance leads to division. There's us versus them. But when you read the scriptures, you'll find out that it's not, Jesus never talks about us versus them. He always talks about us for them. There's this understanding that we are supposed to somehow melt together. Jesus brings unity, not division. And then, he remembers the seminary that he went to. When Ed Dobson went to seminary, he went to uh, a place called Bob Jones University. And Bob Jones is a very, very, very fundamental and conservative church. And this is what he said about that. Bob Jones Sr., the founder of the university that bears his name and place where I attended college, once said, 
if a hound dog comes through town barking for Jesus, I'm on the dog's side. And he says, well, me too. I love this. He's basically saying what Jesus was saying. If they're not against us, then they're for us. Why do we have to create divisions? And the point he's making here is this. We are not the only ones that God has blessed. If you think you're special because God blessed you, talk to the person next to you and you'll find out that God has blessed that person too. I know, a lot of you were like, I'm, I'm the special chosen one of God. I'm gonna be the, you know, like me, like, oh, you know, I'm the preacher. You know, I'm the one that's gonna give the message. I'm the one that God has blessed. Therefore, I'm better than all y'all. You know, no, 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 no. No, there are many greater pre- preachers out there that I'm not going to tell you about because then you'll leave this church. <laughs> right? But So I'm going to keep that a secret for now. But Jesus talks about this in many other places in his biographies. For example, here's one from the book of Matthew. He says this, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun, of course, is a good thing. We all need sunlight, especially in a cloudy day like today. We wish the sun was out, right? And rain is also a good thing. In the ancient world, I mean, today we talk about rain is a good thing, uh, sun is a good thing, rain is a bad thing. But in those days, especially in a desert, rain was something that they needed to grow the, the, the plants and stuff like that. And he's like, do you realize that God doesn't just let it rain on the people who are good? He makes it rain everywhere. And do you realize that there's a sun, when the sun is out, it's out for everybody to enjoy? It's not just for God's people. It's for everybody. Do you think God discriminates based off of who's been following him the longest or what society deems as 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 valuable or or who's been with jesus the longest or if you follow jesus at all do you think jesus jesus discriminates based off of who's following him he's like no i bless everybody equally now it might come in different forms but he blesses everybody equally there's no room for arrogance in god's kingdom there's no room for that as a matter of fact Arrogance in the body of Christ will turn other people off to what Jesus is really trying to do. So let's go back to the original question. Has God blessed you? We say, yeah. Yeah, he's blessed all of us. And once you realize that you're not the only one that God has blessed, you'll start to realize, and God has blessed you, and God has blessed you, and that guy over there who I never thought would be the furthest thing from God, God's blessed that person too, and God blessed that person, and that person who, like, oh wow, God is blessing everybody. And once you realize that, then maybe the second question would be worded a little differently, which is this. Does that make you feel loved? Not, does that make you feel important? Because then you realize God loves everybody equally. And once you realize that God has loved everybody equally, then that leads to the third question, which is, then how can I love others in the same way that Jesus has loved me? We have to remember that God's blessing for you is not to inflate your ego. That God gave you these special talents not so that you could make a big name for yourself. That God gave you life not so that you could parade around the world thinking, look at me, look at me. That he's given the same amount of blessings in different forms to a lot of people in this world, many people, maybe all people in this world, so that we could have the tools to love each other selflessly. And so when he talks about how we need to go and be for the world, it could never start from a place of, I'm better than you. And sadly, I feel that in the church, that happens a lot. I have the gospel message. I have the message that's going to change lives. I'm so important. Look at me, God. I'm on your team. Aren't you glad I'm on your team? And God would say, yeah, but I have many other people on my team. 
you're, yes, you're important in my eyes, but so is the person next to you, and so is the person who doesn't know me. If you want to be for the world, we have to start from a place of humility. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.